This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 71 this morning. Psalm 71. We're continuing our online exclusive series entitled Hope from the Psalms. And I hope this has been an encouragement to you. If you missed any of the messages so far, best way to get caught up is to download the Hui Kala app to your phone or your tablet. Uh, you can go to the Google Play Store or the App Store and download it there. Uh, click on the button that says Podcast, and you can listen to any of the previous messages, or you can actually watch them on your device. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't gotten the Hui Kala app yet, do that right now. Uh, or uh, if you want to go to our church website, you can go to huikala.church uh, and stay caught up that way. Whatever you do, don't miss out on these messages as we go through the book of Psalms and find hope and encouragement that I need, that you need need for this time in our lives. Psalm 71 is where we find ourselves this morning. Entitled today's message, Hope in Our Refuge. Psalm 71, verse number one. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Never let me be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. Be thou my strong habitation whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man, for thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall continually be of thee. I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. Cast me not off in the time of the old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. For mine enemies speak against me, and they lay wait for my soul to take counsel together, saying, God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O God, make haste for my help. Let them be confounded and consumed, for they are adversaries to my soul. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and will I yet praise thee more and more. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high. Who has done great things, O God? Who is like unto thee? Thou which hast showed me great and sore trouble shall quicken me again and shall bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Thou shalt increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth, O my God. Unto thee will I sing with a harp, O thou holy one of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee and my soul which thou hast redeemed. My tongue shall also talk of thy righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought unto shame that seek my hurt. 
My wife, Angela, was on the uh, Ladies Online Fellowship, uh, not this past Monday, but the Monday before that. Uh, and uh, she was uh, online with our ladies of our church and uh, being a blessing to them and being blessed by them. And so I decided I was going to take the kids out. Uh, they'd been in the house for a bit, and so we're going to take them out and go for a walk. And uh, we began, began to walk down Alamona Boulevard, and uh, we walked through uh, Alamona Beach Park directly to the water because that was uh, actually authorized. And so we walked directly to the water from there. And we got over to the water, and it was beautiful out there, and, and uh, the kids were playing in the sand and stuff like that. And I had uh, pulled over for a second and just... Uh, begin to admire uh, God's handiwork, beautiful sunset out there that day, clouds in the skies, but it was gorgeous. But then the clouds got a little bit darker and a little bit darker and a little bit darker, and it began to sprinkle a little bit. And I said, hey, kids, we got to get going. Uh, it's going to start raining really soon. And the sky got really, really, really dark, and then the heavens opened up with rain. And there we are out there at uh, Magic Island in the middle of the, the parking lot, really, on our way back, uh, and completely no shelter whatsoever. And so we began to uh, run over to some trees to try to find some shelter over there. And uh, if you've ever tried to stand under a tree when it's raining, it's okay if it's not raining too hard. Then it opened up and began to come down on us, uh, and we began to get soaked. And so uh, my son Vanderlei says, Dad, I'm going to make a break for the parking garage at Alamoana. He took off running, and McKeeley goes, yeah, me too. And so she took off running too. Uh, McKeeley got, to, I don't know, maybe a quarter of a mile or so, and she uh, ran out of gas, and Van just kept on running. And so I kind of got caught up to him there, and we were just completely and totally drenched. And finally got across the street over there, got into the parking garage at Alamoana Center, and we were completely and totally drenched. But in that moment, we were thankful to be out of the rain. Rain continued to come down. We were uh, sheltered at that point. We had found a place of, here's the word for today, refuge. There was a storm going on around, but we were safe uh, in the confines of the parking garage. We were safe uh, from all of the uh, chaos that was going on outside. People began to run with their uh, jackets pulled over their head. People began to speed by on bicycles and things like that. But we were sheltered in the place of, here's the word, refuge. Today we're taking a look at how we can have hope during this time and any other time in our life because of the refuge that we find ourselves in. By way of review this morning, we are taking a look at hope in this series. Hope uh, is not what the world thinks of when it thinks of hope. It doesn't mean it's something that we wish would happen or we're hoping this is going to happen or uh, I sure hope my stimulus check gets here. Uh, I sure hope uh, I can go back to work soon. I sure hope all this craziness is over soon. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about in this passage. Hope, uh, when we find it in the Bible, is speaking of a confident expectation based on the character of God and the promises of his word. A confident expectation based on the character of God and the promises of his word. For example, I have hope that when I die, I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ is my Savior. I have hope that God knows what he's doing through this time because God is sovereign. I have hope that God will deliver me time and time again because he's promised to in his word. God has promised that if I seek him first, that he'll provide everything that I could ever possibly need. God has promised, and I have a hope this morning, that no good thing will he withhold from me as I walk uprightly. We have hope because of the character of God, who he is, and then based also on the, the promises of his word. We look at the idea of a refuge. The word refuge means a condition of being covered, protected, safe, or sheltered. Think about that for a minute. A condition of being covered, protected, safe, or sheltered from pursuit, danger, 
or trouble. The Bible says time and time again, really dozens of times in the Psalms, we find the word refuge, speaking of who God is to us. In the Old Testament, there's a cities of refuge where if you had accidentally killed someone in the act of manslaughter, that you could run to the city of refuge and they would keep you safe until you could an investigation could be done and determine whether you were guilty or innocent. If you were guilty of actual murder, you'd be cast out of the city of refuge and held accountable. If you were considered not guilty of murder, but actual manslaughter, you could actually stay in the city of refuge. And it was a place where you could not be harmed because you were safe. The whole idea of a city of refuge is what we sometimes refer to as a type of Christ. It's a picture of Jesus Christ and what he does for us. But the Bible tells us here that God is our refuge. He's our safe place. He's a place where you and I can be covered, where we can be protected, where we can be sheltered from the pursuit, danger, and trouble of the world. As we take a look at this passage of Scripture this morning, take a look at Psalm 71, verse number 1. It says, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Never let me be put to confusion. We see, first of all, that refuge is a place of confidence and trust. In this verse here, verse number one, it says, I do put my trust. That word uh, that's used for putting my trust in means to run to and find shelter. I, I, it's a place of confidence that I have, knowing that God will shelter me, knowing that he will provide for me, for he will take care of me. And at the last part of verse number one, it says, let me never be put to confusion or never, never let me be ashamed uh, that word confusion could also be translated into the word ashamed. Let, never let me be ashamed of who you are, God. Uh, it's a place of confidence, a place of trust. God has promised to be a shelter for us in time of storm. We can run to him and find hope during this time. Psalm 31, verse number one. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Never let me be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear unto me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Psalm 25, verse number two says, O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. You see, sometimes it's awkward for us as Christians to actually be okay with being Christians. There was a time in my life where I didn't want to tell people that I was a Christian because I was afraid of what they might think of me or what they might say about me or I thought maybe they would think I was weird or strange and I didn't share my faith with anybody. I never invited anybody to church because I was afraid of, of what they might think of me and I was, I was afraid of being the queer, Christian weirdo in the office or the Christian uh, guy in the workplace. There's so many things you go along with that. You think to yourself, well, if I'm, if I'm going to be a Christian, that means I've got to get a, a fish uh, on my bumper sticker. That's not being a Christian. Or maybe I should get the uh, go next level Christian. I'm going to get the fish on my bumper sticker, but it's actually eating the Darwin fish that actually has legs. That's not being a Christian. Being a Christian is saying, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm not ashamed of it. I put my trust in God to get me through this time. I'm not ashamed of that. Somebody asks you, hey, how are you doing with this whole coronavirus thing? I hope one of your responses can be, I'm doing great because I'm trusting in the Lord. I've been so encouraged because there's a handful of folks in our church that have lost their jobs during time like this or have uh, faced a loss of income during times like this. And every single person that I talk to, I say, hey, how you doing? Every single time they say, pastor, my hope is in the Lord. I'm doing great. I'm doing a lot better than I deserve. 
I've been encouraged by that, by these people who, as they pass through a difficult time, they're not afraid to say, hey, I believe that God's in charge. I believe that God is faithful. Never be ashamed of being a Christian. I want to encourage you with that thought. It's not something to be embarrassed by. And you can say, well, there's some, some Christians out there that give being a Christian a bad name. I get that, but that happens with anything. There's football fans that make being a football fan uh, a bad thing. Uh, there's uh, boxing fans that make uh, boxing a bad thing. There's uh, vegans that make vegan being a bad thing. There's carnivores that make carnivore uh, being a carnivore a bad thing. Hey, look, there's bad apples in every bunch, but here's what I know. Never be ashamed of following after the Lord. Last week we talked about how uh, for those that have accepted Christ as Savior, you shouldn't be ashamed of telling people you're a Christian. Jesus says, hey, if you deny me before others, I'll deny you before my heavenly Father. It's a big deal to be ashamed of being a Christian. Never be ashamed. But take a look in your notes here this morning at Psalm 25, verse number two. Oh my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Hey, if my trust is in you and I'm waiting on you, I'm not gonna be embarrassed by that. I'm not gonna be ashamed. I'm not gonna be put to humiliation. But here's what he says at the end of Psalm 25, verse number three. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. I'm not gonna be ashamed for doing the right thing. I'm not gonna be ashamed for being a Christian. The people who should be ashamed are the, those that shake their fist at God. Those that should be ashamed are those that go against what God's word says. Those that should be ashamed of God are the ones who say, I don't need God, I think I've got this covered. Those are the ones uh, where the psalmist in, in chapter number 25 says, I think they should be ashamed, not me. I'm not gonna be embarrassed of being a Christian. And when I find out my place of refuge in God, when I run to him to find shelter, it's a place that I can have confidence in. Again, I take a look at verse number one. In thee, Lord, do I put my trust. It's a place of confidence and it's a place of trust. But secondly, we see that in this passage here this morning that refuge is a place of defense. Take a look at verse number six. By thee have I been holden up from my, the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall continually be of thee. I'm a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. You see, when we feel like we're under attack, God is a place where we can run to for shelter. God's promised to defend us against all that would come our way. And our refuge in God is a place of defense for when we feel attacked. Verse number six, he says, you've protected me since I was in my mother's womb. Uh, again, if you take a look at verse number six, by thee have I been holding up from the womb. From the moment that I was conceived in my mother, from the womb. That's why we as Christians uh, would be pro-life. We believe that life begins at conception because here the psalmist says, hey, from the second that I was in my mother's womb, you had my back. You had me covered. You had taken good care of me. And so we know that God has prepared for us. God has protected us from the moment that we were conceived, from the moment that we were born. He's always been with us and he's always been faithful. You might say, well, pastor, I didn't start following Jesus until later in life. God protected you from your mother's womb and defended you against everything that came your way to bring you into the place that you are today. God didn't just start protecting you when you became his child. No, no, God's been looking out for you all this time. It's a place of defense when we feel under attack. Psalm 31, verse number two. 
Bow down thine ear, deliver me speedily. Thou art my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. You say, well, pastor, I don't really know that I need any defense. Please know this. You need all the defense that you can get in the Lord. The Bible says that there are three things that are coming for you that want to get you off track. Three things. The world, the way the world does things, the way that the world functions, the way that the world operates, the system of this world that says gratify yourself, be happy, uh, life short, grab as much as you can get. You deserve to be happy, whatever you want, and whatever that means, do it. That's the world system. The world system says that more money will make you happy, more status will make you happy, more friends will make you happy, more possessions will make you happy, and it's a world system that's set up for failure. This is one of the major problems that I have with social media is the majority of the stuff you see isn't real, and it's set up to get you discouraged, to get you disenfranchised with what God has offered you, and really, it's set up against you. And the world will get you off track, but the Lord is a refuge. He's a place of defense against the world. Secondly, not only the world, but the flesh. Your flesh is strong. Your heart wants what a heart wants. That's why the Bible says we can't trust our emotions. The Bible says we can't follow our heart, that our heart is deceitful above all things, that we don't even know the depths of the depravity of our own heart. The Bible says, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your emotions. Don't give in to your flesh. Again, your flesh works together with the world. Yeah, I do deserve to be happy. Yeah, I do deserve to have what I want. Yeah, I do deserve X. And our flesh creates some sense of entitlement. that We deserve or we're owed something. It works together with the world. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from a man who says to me, I'm thinking about leaving my wife. And I say, don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to get in trouble. God's not going to bless that. God's not going to honor that. And nine times out of 10, the exact same statement comes out of their mouth. Well, don't I deserve to be happy? Don't I deserve to spend my life with someone who can make me happy? Don't I deserve that? You're telling me that I I can't be happy? I never said you can't be happy. I'm saying that you can't pursue happiness at the expense of obedience. That's for sure. But if the flesh says, I deserve to be happy, I'd be happier with that new car. I'd be happier in that new apartment. I'd be happier if kids were in this school. I'd be happier if I lived in this place or that place. I'd be happier with a little bit more land. I'd be happy with the, uh, some, some cows or maybe some horses. Man, I'd be happy with a four-wheeler. I'd be happy with that car parked in the garage. And we find ourselves buying into the world system, which then feeds our flesh. It's a cycle that we get caught up in. And the flesh is weak. So not only has God a re- refuge from the world, a refuge from our flesh, it's a refuge from the devil. The Bible says that the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil's waiting to jump on you and to rip you to shreds. Please know this, if you're a child of God here today, you do not have to fear the devil ever being able to take your salvation or anyone or anything else taking your salvation. But let me tell you this, the devil can steal your joy, the devil can steal your usefulness to Christ, and the devil can steal a life of meaning and significance for the cause of Christ. He can take all those, and he loves it. 
So I need a place that I can hide. I need a place that I can rest so that I know that the devil is at bay. I need a place where I can kick my feet up and relax for a minute, knowing that I am protected and God is that place of refuge for me. It's a place of defense. Psalm 7, verse number 10 says, My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. Psalm 59, 16, But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning, for thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Friend, when you have trouble, run to God every single time. You see, we all run somewhere in times of difficulty. Run to the Lord. Next, we see that refuge is a place of healing. It's a place of healing. You see, it's very difficult to heal up when you're in the midst of battle. It's very difficult to heal up when, when things are going off all around. It's very difficult to heal up when you continue to get wounded day after day after day after day. You need a place where you can stop, you can rest, you can recharge, you can renew, you can heal. And God is that place for you. He wants to heal you. Many folks that I, that I speak with have been wounded at some point in their life. All of us have been wounded. The question is, have you healed yet? Some people were wounded in their childhood and they never healed. God is a place where you can heal. God is a refuge that you can run to that you can find healing. Some folks have been wounded by a spouse. God can provide the healing that your soul needs. Some folks have been wounded by a child who's maybe gone away from the Lord. God can heal that hurt that you have. Some folks have been wounded by a, a coworker or a situation or something that didn't work out in their favor. Some people have even been wounded spiritually by churches who have hurt them or damaged them. Some people have been wounded by people that claim to love them very closely. God is a place of healing. He's a place of rest. And if you find yourself wounded let me tell you this, run to God. And people say, well, that's easy to run to God. What does that really mean? That means spend time with God in his word, in prayer. Seek him first. Run to God in praise. Run to God in worship. Find refuge in him. I'm telling you this, if you need refuge, please do yourself a favor and read the book of Psalms. I've been trying in this series that we're, we're going through, Hope from the Psalms, to do one psalm a week and take a look at the big idea of the psalm and, and, and speak about that. And you know what I found myself in Psalm 71 today? I began uh, outlining all the big ideas that I see in this passage and how good God is and how faithful he is and what he's trying to speak to us, what he's trying to share to us through this passage of Scripture. And you know what happened? I had like nine pages of notes. That could easily be three different messages. So we're not even gonna get all the way through Psalm 71 today because there's so much encouragement here. After this, I, my wife had shared with me uh, today, Psalm 77, and I began to read through that, and I was absolutely blown away by the hope that was found in Psalm 77. Uh, that's another uh, psalm that I think it would probably take me probably six weeks to do it justice because it's that good. Run to the psalms. They provide refuge. They provide healing as we look at the way that God as our refuge heals, we see that God heals situationally. 
God heals us situationally. He takes care of every situation that we have and he heals it. Now, the type of healing that God might provide for your given situation might not be the type of healing that you want, but it's exactly what you need every single time. You got a situation that's unsure, God can heal that. You got a situation that's caused you great harm, God can heal that. You're dealing with grief from a situation, God can heal that. Psalm 107, verse number 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. So when we're foolish and we go against God and we don't do things His way, uh, the Bible says that we are afflicted if we're acting foolishly. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near into the gates of death. Here's some beautiful words. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of all their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. You see, we get this idea sometimes that when we do stupid stuff that God just kind of sits back and goes, oh, you're going to get what you get. Sometimes as a parent, we have to allow our children uh, to endure painful situations so that they'll know never to do this again. There are times where our kids have wanted to go somewhere or do something, and my wife and I say, this is a bad idea, but this is the best way for them to learn. I remember my son Vanderlei had uh, saved his money for almost two years to buy a GoPro camera. Uh, when the GoPros were fairly new, this was probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago that he bought his first GoPro. And he had saved and saved and saved. And I looked at it and my wife's like, what do you think? I was like, it's a camera. I know, but it can go underwater. I know. But at the end of the day, do we need cameras to go underwater? I don't know. He'd watched all these videos online. He'd watched all the, the YouTube videos and, and watched instructional videos. And he sees people snowboarding with it on a stick and uh, jumping off of mountains and skydiving and stuff like that. He was like, I want a GoPro. Okay. And so he saved and he saved and he saved. Angela goes, what do you think? I go, I think it's a bad idea, but I'm going to let him do it. So he buys a GoPro and he is so excited. He gets it home and he charges it plugs everything in and stuff like that, begins to record stuff. Cool. It sits around the house for a couple of days. He's recording stuff here and there, videos of the dog, videos of himself. I got a video somewhere I ran across it a few weeks ago of him standing in the bathroom in the sink, and he fills up the sink with water, and he's recording himself while he's filling up the, the sink with water. And then he drops his GoPro in the sink, and he leans over and he looks at it like this. And then he picks it back up and looks at it and turns it off. And I thought, that's about as much action as his GoPro ever got, I think. Uh, now, again, I had to let him make his own decision. And he said a, a few weeks later, Dad, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with this. I mean, I don't really go snowboarding or jump off of mountains or anything like that. I mean, like, what am I supposed to do with it? And so we took it to the beach and we took it hiking and stuff like that. And we had fun with it, but had to let him learn his lesson. Sometimes we think that God is sitting back waiting for us to do stupid stuff, going, oh, they'll learn eventually. Or maybe even, here's the, the, the worst view that we can have of God, that God delights in seeing us do foolish things so that we can hurt ourselves. God's waiting for us to do dumb stuff so he can sit back and go, oh, you're an idiot. I knew that was going to happen. God doesn't function that way. God says that even the fools, when they do foolish things, when they cry out to God, God's there and he delivers. Man, I love that. Take a look again at Psalm 
107, verse number uh, 17. Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near into the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And what does he do? He saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word, he healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Friend, if you've made a mess of your life, if you've done foolish things, if you say, I think I've really messed this up and I don't know how to fix it, please know this, cry out to God. He is your refuge during this time and he can heal you situationally. He'll give you exactly what you need for your given situation. I promise you that because that's what his word says. Just because you got yourself in the mess doesn't mean you got to get yourself out of the mess. God says, I'm here. If you need help, just ask. I'm standing by ready to deliver. God not only heals us situationally, also heals us spiritually. You see, my greatest problem and your greatest problem is not our situations of life. Our greatest problem that we have is not when is America going to start back up again? When can I get back to work? When can I get some income coming in? Uh, when can I go to the store? When can I go to uh, a basketball game? Those are not the biggest problems that you and I have. The greatest problem that we have is that when this life is over, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. The biggest problem that I have and the biggest problem that you have is that we will stand before God one day for what we've done. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us, when we die, deserve to be separated from God in a place called hell. That's what we deserve and that is our big problem that we have. Oh, friend, you can have your finances set. You can have your health in order. You can have everything squared away, but once there's going to be a point where you take your last breath and then you stand before God. Are you ready for that? The Bible says that we can pay for our own sin by dying and going to hell. That would, would cross off our debt with God, and he would say that that is paid, but there is no end to that. There's no second opportunity that we get to get out of hell. That's the payment for our sin is death. Or you can allow Jesus to pay the price for you. The Bible says that Jesus came and died on the cross to pay for my sins and pay for yours. That if we were willing to put our faith and trust in him as our savior, that we could be saved from our sin. Have you been saved, friend? The Bible says no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You can't go to heaven without being saved. He said, well, I, I think I'm a good enough person. I think I'm kind of trusted in some, some good stuff that I've done to kind of push me over the edge and get me to where I need to go. The Bible says, Jesus is in John chapter 14, verse number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. If you're not putting your faith in Jesus today to get you to heaven, you're toast, friend. The Bible says that he that hath the Son, speaking of Jesus Christ, hath life. But he that hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. If Jesus Christ is not your Savior, God's wrath is coming for you. The moment that you take your last breath here, you'll stand before God and be judged, and the penalty is death, destruction, wrath for all of eternity. But the good news is, is that God came to save us spiritually he sent his son Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and he lived a perfectly sinless life. And Jesus went to the cross willingly to die because the wages of sin is death, but Jesus had not sinned. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin for us 
so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus came, he suffered, he bled, he died to pay for my sins and to pay for yours. And if we'd be willing to believe in him, that he would save us from our sin. There has to be a time in your life where you were saved or you're not a child of God. You're not going to heaven when you die. Your sin is not forgiven. God is not a refuge for you. Believe it or not, here's the thing. The Bible says that if, Romans chapter five, that if you're not a child of God, you are an enemy of God. And so please understand that if there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved, God is not your refuge. God is the opposition. Think about that for a minute. If you're not a child of God, God is not a refuge for you. God is the opposition. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the opposite side of God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. So the Bible says, that in John chapter one, to them gave he power to become the sons and implied there is the daughters of God, even to those that believe on his name. If you'd be willing to believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, you could not only be saved, but you could become the son or daughter of God and you're no longer an enemy. You're a child now. You're adopted into God's family. And friend, that's the best life to be a child of God, to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that heaven is your home, to know that God is a refuge that you can run to, that will hear your cry when you cry out and save you and deliver you from your situations and deliver you most of all from your sins. That's your number one problem is your sin. And Jesus came to set you free. Oh, friend, if you're not saved, be saved today. Being saved doesn't mean attending church a lot. It doesn't mean uh, going to a church building. It doesn't mean getting baptized. It doesn't mean taking communion. Being saved means putting your faith in Jesus and repenting of your sin. You could do that right now wherever you're at. If you're listening to this in the car, you could do it right here in the car. If you're sitting on the couch at home, you could do it right now, sitting on the couch at home. God, I believe that I'm a sinner. God, I believe I deserve to go to hell, but I also believe in your son Jesus as my savior. Forgive me of my sins and save me. And the Bible says, God will save you. But it requires faith and repentance on your part. See, God's refuge is a place of healing. God not only heals us situationally, not only heals us spiritually, but God heals our heart. Remember how we talked about that hurt that we had where we were wounded? God provides healing for that. Psalm 147, verse number one. Praise ye the Lord, for it's a good to sing praises unto our God, for it's pleasant. Praise is comely. The Lord doth build Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcast of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord in the great power. His understanding is infinite. Oh, my word. I love what he says here, verse number two. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathered together all the outcasts of Israel. You see, Jesus didn't come to save the people who've got it together. God didn't send Jesus to taste the afflictions of mankind for people who've got it all together who don't need help. God's not looking for the A1 superstar. God's not looking for an all-star team that he can do something with. God's looking for the outcasts. God's looking for the one who have already made a, a gang of mistakes. He's looking for the ones who say, I can't do this without you, Lord. As you see, if you've got it all together and you've got life all figured out, 
you don't really have much of a need for God in your own opinion. I met people before and shared my faith with them and asked them if they'd be willing to trust in Christ. And they say things like, well, I feel like religion is a, a crutch for weak people. I believe if you need help from God, you can't be strong enough to help yourself. You don't understand. I'm not strong enough to help anybody apart from God's help. I'm not strong enough to save myself. I'm not strong enough to make up for all the wrong that I've done in life. I need healing for that. If there's any pain in your heart here today, I want to tell you this. God has the ability to heal it. And again, lest we speak abstractly, what does that mean for God to heal your heart? Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in praise. Spend time in worship. Listen to solid Christian music. Spend time with other solid Christian friends. Limit the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil in your life. And God will begin a healing process in your heart that you can't fathom. A refuge is a place of healing. See, also, refuge is a place of renewal as well. See, refuge is not just a place of shelter. It's actually a place of rest for us. We are talking on our uh, small group the other day. Actually, it might have been one of our Thursday night uh, church-wide family calls. I'm not sure. One of the folks in our church says, Pastor, I really feel like with Easter week and everything that's going on and it being springtime and us being at home, really trying to having to look at ourselves in the mirror a lot, it's a time of renewal. Man, I love that idea. Man, remembering what Christ has done for me on the cross should bring a spirit of revival, a spirit of renewal in me. It should bring out something in me where I want to look at myself and I want to look at the cross and I want to say, I want to be a better man. I want to be more useful to Christ. I want my life to count for something. It's a place of renewal. I love Psalm 23. Most folks could quote Psalm 23 from memory. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I love the idea here that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know what that means? God's got this under control, I'm not going to worry about it. So many times we just quote that psalm and we don't think a lot about it, but you really need to stop and meditate on that for a minute. Because the Lord is my shepherd, what's the job of a shepherd to lead, feed, guide, and protect? Well, that means if the Lord's my shepherd, then I don't need any protection other than him. If the Lord's my shepherd, I don't need any guidance other than him. If the Lord is my shepherd, I'm going to be fed by him and cared for him because the Lord is my shepherd. And you know what? I don't really need anything else. I shall not want. But you know what he does? He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He doesn't encourage me to lie down. He doesn't make a place for me to lie down. He doesn't even strongly suggest that I lie down in green pastures. You know what he does? He makes me. Our daughter Tallulah is two years old, and she is 100% two-year-old. And we make her take a nap during the day. You know why? Because if we don't come 5.30 at night, she is an absolute, miserable, crying, slobbering mess. So we, what do we do? We make her lie down. About 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you're going down for a nap whether you like it or not. Sometimes she stays back there and plays and talks to herself in the crib and stuff like that. That's fine. I don't care what you do back there. You don't have to sleep. 
but you're going to lay down. If you've had kids before, you know that when it's bedtime, you tell the kids to go to bed and every single parent has either had a knock at the door, some kid come to the door with bleary eyes and they say, I'm not sleepy. (laughs) First of all, you're about to fall asleep standing up. Secondly, it doesn't matter if you're sleepy or not. It's 11 o'clock at night. Go lay down. Well, I've been laying down and I can't get to sleep. I used to say count sheep, and, and I, when I was a kid, I could count to 1,500 in sheep. It didn't help me any. So what I tell my kids to do, would you go back to your room and pray? For whatever reason, when I lay down or kneel down and close my eyes and pray, man, that is, that's better than NyQuil for me, I think. Would you go back to your room and pray? Well, well I don't know what to pray about. Pray for Daddy. Pray for the church. Pray for Mommy. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray. Okay. But you know what I'm doing? I'm making them lay down. You know why? Because they need rest. They need renewal. The Bible says that our refuge is a place of renewal. After being out in the battle all day, after getting damaged and wounded throughout the day, I can come back home to my refuge and I can be renewed. For me, one of the best things that, that I've ever done in my life is make time with God first thing in the morning. And if I get up, spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, it sets the course for the rest of my day. And man, I'm recharged physically because I've had a good night's sleep. Sometimes I haven't, but either way, recharged physically, now I'm going to recharge spiritually because God is my refuge. He's a place of renewal for me, a place of rest. But here's what I love about refuge, the idea of a refuge as well. Again, if we take a look at verse number three, it says that, be thou my strong habitation whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given me a commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Notice that it doesn't say that God's our house. God's not a tent that we run to. God is a fortress. Why do we need a fortress? We need a fortress because we're at war. And our refuge is a stronghold from which to launch a counterattack. A fortress is a place that I go to in the middle of the battle that is safe for me, where I can not only be find a place of security, a place of rest, a place of healing, a place of renewal, but I can get my wits about me and put together a battle plan of how I'm going to get back out there and get after it. And you know what? God is that for us. He's the one that we can run to, and he says, okay, here's your plan for tomorrow. Wake up, walk with me, do the right thing. I got everything else covered. Walk in righteousness, walk in obedience, walk in love, walk in service, walk in humility, and I got this covered. Ready, break. Oh, you see, we don't come home to our refuge in God and just kick our feet up on the couch and start scrolling through Netflix to find something to waste time with. That's not the type of refuge that God is. God is one that ministers to our soul. God is one that speaks to our spirit. God is one that encourages our heart. God is the one who gives us the marching orders that we need to get out there and get after it day after day after day. 
Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. What if, let's just say a big what if. What if this coronavirus global pandemic was God's opportunity for Christians around the world to be strengthened spiritually? What if God put all of this together so that you and I can't rely on just showing up to the same place every single week at a given time and just coasting through the Christian life? We've got to be intentional about it. We've got to download some app to our phone or our tablet that we've never even heard of so that we can get online and talk to other Christians. We got to get up out of the bed and change out of our jammies to sit on the couch at 10 a.m. to hear from God's word so that we can be encouraged. What if God puts us in a place where we're not sitting in rows of chairs with people beside us? We have to really stay focused on our own on God's word. Some people, I believe, sit down to watch the service at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, maybe catch a replay later in the day or something like that. And it might be on on the TV, it might be on on your phone, but you're up washing dishes, you're vacuuming the house, you're finding something to do, you're taking the dog for a walk and stuff like that. And if that's what you gotta do, that's fine, but would you pull over for an hour and just worship the Lord on the Lord's day? Can we just take time and worship God? And what if God's bringing you to a place where the only thing you have to do is focus on him? one of the single ladies in our church. We were like a week into the stay-at-home, work-at-home, and she got let go from her job, not even a week into it. And we talked, and we prayed, and I encouraged her, and she was already encouraged. She didn't need that much help at all. But the next day, she emailed me, and she was like, Pastor, I'm going 100% nerd mode on the Bible. Give me every resource you can imagine. Here's a YouTube channel with we'll some good stuff on evangelism. Here's some good stuff on apologetics. Here's a website for this. Here's some good reading material on that. And, and she's like, got it. And man, busted out a study Bible, busted out a journal, and got the work studying the Bible. Man, what if, what if God took your job from you so that you could stay at home and be closer to him? Wouldn't that be something? What if God forced you to be at home with your children so that you had to talk about something because you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. There's no activities at night that are stealing our time. There's no soccer games to go to. There's no basketball practice that we got to get to. There's no workplace activities we got to do at night. What if we just got to stay home and focus on what's important? What if God brought us to a place to help us put together a solid counterattack? What if God caused us to come to a place where we really have to reanalyze our priorities? and figure out what's important to us. I think it's entirely possible and very plausible. In your notes is Deuteronomy 33, verse number 27 through 29. I love these verses, oh my soul. Now he's speaking to the children of Israel, but the principle still applies as far as who God is. Deuteronomy 33, verse number 27, the eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. 
Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon the land of corn and wine. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee? O people saved by the Lord. That, that phrase is critical. Because in the Old Testament, it's speaking of the people who were saved by the Lord. Who is that? That was the children of Israel. God says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to do something special through you, Israel, that I'm not going to do for everybody else so that people can say, how awesome is God? But if we're looking at this, this as a principle that's applied here, who are the people saved by God now? Well, that's us. If we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves children of God, we are the people that are saved by God. And what does it say? The shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. You know what God says? If you'll let me be your God, and you'll just be my people, I'm going to take really good care of you. And your enemies, you just say destroy them, and God's going to wipe them out. And God's going to take you, and your foot will tread on their high places. Now, for, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of enemies in this world. I really don't have anybody that I have a hard feelings against. I probably have a half dozen people or a dozen or so that hate my guts. I got no ill will towards anybody at all. So when I think of like enemies, I think to myself like, I don't have anybody that I'm going to say, God, destroy them, and God's going to wipe them out, and I'm going to walk in their high places. But every single one of us have an enemy, and you know who it is? The devil. And those who are saved by God, us, can say to God, destroy him. And God says, I got this. This world system is our enemy. And we can say to God, God, destroy this. And God says, I got this. Our own flesh is an enemy of God. God says, I got this. God is our refuge in times like this. I don't know about you, but I've been at home more in the last three weeks than I have in probably the last three months. The first probably two and a half, three weeks or so uh, were really busy for us. We went from a 0% online ministry to 100% online ministry uh, in a matter of about four days been hectic. It's been a lot more work for me as far as keeping track of people and being connected to people and checking in on people and seeing how folks are doing and stuff like that. Again, we don't have a central place where we can gather, so I, I need to, as a pastor, make sure that people are staying connected and make sure people are staying on track. It's been tough for me. It's been a lot of work, but here's what I know. I've gotten my priorities in line. I was talking with some pastor friends this past week, and we are talking about the lessons we learned through this. God's teaching a lot during times like this. But you might be sitting at home going, well, I'm kind of waiting, you know? Kind of waiting until this whole thing starts up again. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting until we can gather together in this building and worship Jesus together. Man, what a day that's going to be. It's going to be awesome. We've already been planning about what that Sunday is going to be like. And again, I don't know if it's going to be a staggered start or if we're all going to be able to get together first Sunday together. I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. I just want to get back together with my church family and worship Jesus together. Man, that's the good stuff. And so I'm kind of sitting around waiting. You know, you hear dates like April 30th. You say, what does that mean? You hear dates like May 15th. You say, what does that mean? You hear dates like June 1. What does that mean? Somebody sent me a news article this past week. Uh, It says some uh, universities are saying that they will not start on-campus classes until 2021. What does that mean for us as a church? I don't know, but here's what I do know. God is faithful. Here's what I do know, though. Waiting time is only wasted time if you actually waste it. 
Waiting time is not wasted time unless you choose to waste it. This time that God has you pulled over to the side of the road and kind of waiting, don't waste this time. Some parents are like, oh, my kids are at home in the house all day long and I'm having to do homeschool and having to teach them stuff. Don't waste that time, parents. As a parent of two kids who grew up way too fast, all of them have grown up too fast, but I've got two boys that are 18 and 25 now. I wish I had some more years back at 10 or 11. I wish I had more times looking over homework. Don't waste this time. Get extra time on your hands. Read the Bible. I had a friend this past week who called me. We were talking about stuff, and he says, Pastor, has been really good because I've been able to get caught up on my Bible reading. Man, I love that. I love it. Man, I hope you've had some time to relax and recharge and stuff like that, but don't check out on the Lord. Don't waste this time. Moses walked with the children of Israel for 40 years before they were able to go into the promised land, and Moses never even got to see the promised land. Was that wasted time for Moses? I don't think so. You know why? Because Moses set a foundation that the rest of the Christian world would be built upon. Moses taught a lot about leadership to people who would study the life of Moses. Moses taught us a lot about the character of God and the things that happened. And so Moses' time waiting to get into the promised land, which he never got to, wasn't wasted time. It was invested time. Don't waste this time. Refuge is also a place where we must live. So take a look at verse number three. It says, be thou my strong habitation. A strong place where I can come home to. See, refuge is a place where we must live. It's a place where we must come home to. A refuge isn't just a place that I need to run in times of trouble. God is not your spiritual 911. God is not like the jumper cables in the trunk of your car. You're like... I think I've got jumper cables. I don't really know. I just hope I never have to use them. Sometimes people treat God like that. I know God's there. At least I think he is. And if I need him, if I get myself in a pinch, I might call out for him, but I think I got this. God is not a spiritual 911. God is not a set of jumper cables in the trunk of your car. God is a place of refuge that we're supposed to come back to day after day after day. He's not a refuge that we only run to. Again, verse number three, be a strong habitation whereunto I may continually resort. I love that. Help me to come back to you time and time again. And that word resort, when it says whereunto I may continually resort, gives us the idea that first of all, we don't come to him once, but we come back to him continually. That I may continually resort. That word resort means to go to with purpose. And, and believe it or not, it's almost like the opposite of the word retreat. And so God is not a place that I just run to when trouble comes in retreat and defeat. God is a place that I run to when things are well. God is a place that I run to because I need his strength for the next day and the day after that. God is a place that I run to because he is my strong habitation. He's just where I live. And some of the people who have gone through this global crisis with the greatest optimism and joy are those that have been walking with God who knows, hey, he's in charge of all this. We'll just trust him through this because he's faithful. 
Refuge is also a place of praise. Take a look at verse number eight. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. This is a recurring theme throughout Psalms, praise. You know why? Because any knucklehead could complain. We've talked about this over the last several weeks. That we have a reason to praise because God's been faithful. Last week, we have a million and one reasons to praise because Christ is risen. And that means that God is merciful. God's forgiven. That means God is compassionate. It means that Jesus is everything that we need. We have so many reasons to praise. But verse number eight says, let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. It's very tough to fill your praise, your mouth with praise when your mouth is full of complaining. Book of James, very clear about the way that we talk. It says our mouth can't be filled with blessings and cursings at the same time. A foul-mouthed Christian has a hard time praising God. By the same token, a complaining Christian has a difficult time praising God. Our complaining is just a dissatisfaction with what God's given us. But I want to say, God, I don't understand this, but I praise you. God, I don't know what you're doing right here, but I trust you, and I know it's going to be awesome. I remember me at first when, then, when all this came about, they said we weren't going to be able to meet together on a given Sunday. I thought to myself, well, what is this going to do for me? What is this going to do for our church family? I'm worried. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. Will we have the opportunity to meet here for Easter Sunday? All these questions. The answer to all those was, God's got it covered. Short window of panic, long window of trust. I just say, God, you're faithful. God, you're enough. I don't know about you, but my favorite way to celebrate Easter Sunday wasn't separated from our church family. But you know what? It's what God did. I praise him for it. We had pictures from all over our island, really all over the world. We had folks from the, from the mainland sending photos of them worshiping together. People I've never even met before sent photos of them worshiping together with our church family, and I thought, that's awesome. That's neat to be able to worship together with people that we've never met before. Maybe you've never even attended who we call about his church, have enjoyed time together with our church family. It's special. We have to have a heart of praise. Again, it's easy to complain during times like this. It's easy to complain that I can't go where I want to do or do what I want to do or I go to the restaurant that I want to go to. My son Vanderlei is a senior in high school this year. Chances are he's probably never going to go back to school and sit in a classroom again. In high school, that's done. This past week, the uh, Department of Education came out and says, no high school graduations this year. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. <laughs> One of the things they talked about is a drive-through graduation where the graduate stands on the sidewalk and cars of people drive past. That's not awkward at all. I mean, do you have to drive past all 250 graduates to be able to see yours? Are you able to spend extra time with your graduate? Or how does that work? I don't know. I just know it's strange. But you know what? My son Vance had a really good attitude about it. He was like, eh, whatever happens, happens. And it's been neat to see him walk through this time, his senior year that should be, uh, you know, society tells you most memorable time of your life, best years of your life. Uh, and, and let me just pause for just a second and say, if the best years of your life were high school, 
you're not doing life right. If the best time of your life was high school, you're not doing life the way that God intended it. I promise you that. But he's walked through this time with joy. And I appreciate that spirit that he has because it's a spirit of praise. Because God is our refuge to run to in times of need, at times of trouble. And our refuge is a place of praise. It's important to understand, though, that when it comes to refuge, refuge is of no use if you cannot get to it. Again, if you're not a child of God here today, God is not your refuge. God is the opposition. God is your enemy. God is waiting for you to surrender. God is waiting to see you wave the white flag. God is waiting for you to come to him in repentance and trust in him. And he says, if you will, I'm going to swing the gates open wide and you're welcome to come into the place of refuge. But if you're going to continue to be my enemy, please know I know who wins. God always wins. And so your refuge is only as good if you can get to it. For those of us that are Christians, you say, well, I'm a child of God. Please understand this. Refuge is of no use if you do not run to it. If in times like this you think to yourself, well, I'm going to run to what I know. I'm going to run to my work. I'm going to run to my friends. I'm going to run to uh, drugs or alcohol. I'm going to run to this, that, or the other. And you don't run to God. You're missing out on the refuge. You see, when difficulty comes, all of us run somewhere. Where do you run? Is God really your refuge? Oh, yeah, yeah, God's my refuge. Prove it. Are you trusting in him? Do you find rest in him? Do you find renewal in him? Are you putting together a strong counterattack against the world, the flesh, and the devil through this? Or are you really giving lip service to God, but you got your own plan that you're doing? Don't do that. Run to God. It's a place of safety. He's, the Bible says he's a strong tower. He's a fortress. He's our rock during this time. Man, I need a rock. You need a rock. Let me tell you that God is faithful. If you're listening to this today and you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, you're not for sure that you're a child of God, please be saved today. Put your faith and trust in God and he'll be a refuge like you've never known before in your life. But for those of us that are children of God, those of us that are saved, during this time and every other time, let God be your refuge. You say, Pastor, everything's going good for me right now. Still got a job, still getting paid. Everything's good. Run to God. He's a refuge. And let me just know, let me tell you this, if things are good, things can always be better. Trust in God to make things better. Maybe God wants to use you during this time to bless others. Maybe God's doing something special in you and preparing you for the next step. Maybe God is strengthening you during this time for the next leg of the journey. Don't let this waiting time be wasted time. But we find in God's word, there's hope. What does this world need this week? A lot of hope. What do the people that you know need? They need hope. Where do we find it? We find hope from the person of God based on his character and the promises of his word. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for the fact that you are a refuge that we can run to in difficult times, but also in prosperous times. 
God, we're thankful for your faithfulness time and time again that you've been looking out for us from the moment that we were born. And God, this time is no different. Pray for those in our church family that are struggling with uncertainty or doubt. Maybe they're struggling with what comes next. God, help them to trust in you during this time. Help them to know that you've always been faithful and you will continue to be faithful. God, thank you for the fact that you are a refuge, a place where we can run in time of need. Help us to run to you this week. Father, I pray that you'd help us during this time and every other time to find others that we know that need to know of the refuge that we find in you as well. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, and most of all, your son, Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.